to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 42, as I sit and drink my mulled wine on this cold, rainy Vancouver day, hope that you guys enjoyed part one of the highlight show. Part two is up now. So I thought on this one I would just kind of chat about the different episodes ahead of time and then just let it run through rather than stopping on each each individual one. Before I actually get into that, I want to mention I've got two new podcasts coming up as well in the start of the new year. I've got a winemaker out of Texas. And that is Elizabeth Hill with Berkeley Hill Vineyards. So hopefully I should be getting that recorded in the next week or so. And I also have Alicia Myers Wine Art. And we should be recording hopefully tomorrow actually. She incorporates wine into all of her paintings. Very cool. So got a couple couple kick-ass little podcasts coming up. Hopefully you guys will enjoy them in the in the new year, hopefully in January, I'll put those both out. So episode 42, part two of the 2019 highlight show, starts off with Sam Udy, and Sam is with Cult Wines. That is a wine investment company. He's actually based in Singapore. And you recall earlier in the year, I had Jack Chapman on, who was also the same Cult Wines company. So this is Sam and I's conversation about his getting into wine in the first place. And I'm, like I said, I'll just run through each of the individuals that I have for these, these episodes. After Sam, I've got Natalie McLean, who is a wine writer and author and wine reviewer in Canada, in, uh, based in Toronto, or uh, Ottawa, actually. Uh, then after that, I've got Jason Osinas, and he is the general manager from Township 7 Winery. And that was my, as you guys know, that is my epiphany wine that I always talk about is the Black Dog wine. It's from Township 7, so Jason and I chat about that a little bit. Uh, Brooke Martin, and she is a wine blogger and wine writer. She has a, uh, a really cool uh, Instagram uh, content called The Brook Blend. Episode 35 is with Jane Masters and I. She is the MW who selects all the wine for the Opinion Wine Club that I belong to. And our little chat is actually about how she selects the wines. Episode 36 is the Garage East North Wine Festival. And this little snippet is actually from my conversation with Anthony Buchanan, one of the winemakers that was pouring his label that day. Episode 37 was with Jason Parks, and he is the head winemaker and chief scoundrel of uh, the hatch wines and we chat about all their business ventures that they have going right now uh, and then i talked with the winemaker from stags hollow which is kira lafranc a great young up-and-coming winemaker in the ok falls area in bc and then nicole muscari she is a wine blogger and fashion expert in new york and then uh, finally uh david is the winemaker and general manager at tantalus vineyards up in uh, up in Kelowna, and we talk a little bit about the push for 
a lot of the sub-appellations and where the trend of BC wine is going in the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years as we push towards bigger and better things in the Okanagan wine scene, getting the appellations up and running. A little more specific in the appellations, trying to get those sub-appellations set up now. So, hope you guys enjoy and let's get right into it. think when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old I was at their house in Rouen and he quite a fierce man quite an intimidating man said um, said to me that if he had his time again he would have gone on into the wine industry as soon as he possibly could have done instead of ever considering medicine Hmm. this was coming from the man who had the house he had the cars he had a a private jet he had a boat he had everything he could possibly want and he had a fantastic seller Um, so for someone who in my eyes had absolutely everything uh, an 18 or 19 year old boy could dream of having um, to say that he probably wouldn't have gone down the same route and would have gone into wine which is what his passion is struck quite a quite a chord you know people are steering you towards specific educations which lead you into specific careers everything's about the path that you take and and i was on it in it being sent in a different direction at the time that same uh holiday trip that we were staying with them we had a uh, 2002 uh, domaine de la romney conti Echezo, and i'd gone from having some reasonable Bordeaux, probably no experience in Burgundy, um, to having something like this, which I didn't know the brand, I didn't know the vineyard, I didn't know anything about it. I probably couldn't have even told you that it was Pinot Noir at the time, but something stood out about this particular wine, which uh, put my head in a spin. You know, there's so much going on. I didn't know anything about wine, so I didn't know how to interpret it. I didn't know how to understand or describe everything that was going on in the glass and that kind of confusion uh, or with something that uh, I, I hadn't really experienced to that level struck board as well so i went through my my university days i studied property uh, agency marketing and investment so i'd always been geared up towards working in um, commercial development or property investment residential that, that side of things but had kept up with learning a little bit more about wine on the side, uh, thinking it would just be a passion, giving myself a tap on the back that in my early 20s I was um, you know, trying to learn about the, uh, the different regions or the different appellations in Bordeaux and trying to understand a little bit more about Tuscan wines. It wasn't really until I got to the end of my university degree, I'd also been doing a wine module uh, alongside, that I thought, you know what, property is not what I want to be doing. It's what I should be doing mm. because it's a safe, solid um, career where you know you can you can almost guarantee you've got a, a safe a safe future if, if all goes well. And I thought I actually I don't really want to do that. I want to apply everything I've learned from property investment and development, um, having previously studied economics, business management, that side of things, and applying it to wine. I didn't know at the time if it could be done. I didn't know that wine investment existed. Um, but one of those perfect occasions, 
in the right place at the right time. I happened to be at the same pub on the weekend as a chap who would have been maybe three years above me at my university, who I knew a little bit, who was working behind investment. He was looking to leave the business he was working for to go back to his family farm to take over and start to run the estate there. And he needed someone to fill his desk. So I think within a week or two weeks, he introduced me to his boss. I interviewed and started uh, a couple of weeks later. Hmm. So having gone all the way through with this clear plan of how things should be done, it was a complete stroke of fate and timing that within, yeah, within a month, all of those things happened at the same time. And I, uh, I kind of fell into that first job. I think wine for me is all about context as well. So the experiences that you get when you're, when you're drinking it. Exactly. So on the long weekend recently, it was hot as heck. And we were out on this pontoon boat on a lake up north. And the sun was just dancing on the water. And I had an ice bucket of Tavel Rosé from France, Mm. um, Chateau de Caria. And the, the sun was coming in through the bottle and making a like little ruby gems dance on the seat of the uh, the boat and I poured that and the the way I could just feel it go down inch by inch <laughs> right down through me it's cool chill and then the, the aromas came back up of course in the finish and it was just glorious it was the sun and the water and the warmth and then the chill contrast of this wine it was so gorgeous that the wine also is fantastic yeah yeah. Doesn't doesn't hurt the story yeah. as well, you know. I a good a good story and a good experience in the front of the house of uh, of a winery can get sales, can get people excited. But to have longevity, to have consistency, you have to have good wine, and yeah. that's where you have to be able to make sure that your winemaker has the tools to be able to make good wine. Yeah. You can have the odd blip of the odd vintage or the odd whatever because it's farming but it's still like it should be purposeful like what's right. the reason why this wine tastes this way and your winemaker should have made it that way taste yeah. that way because this is what this vintage speaks this yeah. is what this vintage did and unfortunately i've been to some wineries where the story is awesome and the room is awesome and the people are amazing and the wine just doesn't hold up to yeah. it that's pretty cool it, yeah it is cool and and the only thing is you know, if I order it now, I won't get it till Christmas, basically. So, yeah. well, hopefully, it's worth the wait then. If it's good wine, so. <laughs> and that's that. That is that is the thing about wine, right? It should be worth the wait. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I have to put stickers on some of my wines, especially if I've had like a winemaker tell me, "Don't open this for at least three years or at least five years." Because I'm very impatient. I want to drink it when I want to drink it. And so it's hard for me sometimes to wait. And sometimes I need that reminder, that little sticker saying, don't drink this yet. Not until 2020 or 2021, whenever it is. My wife and I, we almost did that with like a green, yellow, red kind of sticker system. (laughs) Color coded. Don't touch it. Or, Or if it was really expensive wine. It's like no, yeah. that was that was seventy dollars. Don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, maybe green for the yeah. ones that are expensive and red for the do not touch. Yeah, it's not a Tuesday night wine with with your girlfriends yeah. that are gonna 
throw Sprite into it, you know. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Those friends, so bring a special bottle for them. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we tend to think that in places like Australia, the impact of the vintage is lesser than in places like Burgundy or Bordeaux, there still is an impact in terms of the quantity of wines produced and the quality of wines. And different grape varieties react different, differently given you know, the climate during the course of the year and the growing conditions. And so nothing is a given for example, I had a wine last year that I thought was absolutely superb, and we know that members follow it. If it if it doesn't, for whatever reason, show well in the tasting, the following vintage, then I'm clear that much as ideally we would like to include it in there, it's got to be that the wine has really got to deliver every single time. And so if it's not up to scratch, then it doesn't get through, I'm afraid. Mm. Is there, is, well, I mean, and that's, I mean, not you, to try and penalize anyone, but just no. to make sure that, you know, that I'm, I, I really feel that, that my role is to, is to source the best wines that I possibly can for opinion members. So, yes, this is awkward. <laughs> as, I'm holding, as you're holding the umbrella up. Umbrella. At least it's, right? right? It's, it's literally everything is all, you do it all. Do it all. Hold the, hold the umbrella, everything. Hold the umbrella. That's funny. I mean, you're being well-received, I would say, beyond just Desert Hills as your own kind of, you know, pet project or side project. Um, I guess you're finding, I mean, what, what are you finding? Like, are you finding your names getting other as your own, as your own entity, shall we say, as opposed to Desert Hills or? Yeah, I think you know it's, I mean? uh, absolutely. I think um, as the years have gone by, like we started this in 2014, so we started with 112 cases, but um, and then fast forward 2018, we're 1,000 cases, and been very, very methodical on on the wines that we're producing and uh, the grapes that I purchased from from really exceptional growers throughout the valley. So it's I've been doing this slowly, but I've been doing it kind of methodically, and um, I think it it kind of goes hand in hand. Desert Hills too is is sort of helped me, and and they've been extremely supportive of of this project. So. Um, to answer the question, yeah, I think it's uh, it seems to be going really, really well for me. So when I chatted with Grayson a while ago, he goes, "Jason's like this enigma wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in bacon." Bacon. Yeah, that's like that's how that's a direct quote from Grayson. That's good. Well, I liked bacon a lot. Yeah. I've always liked Grayson. That's such a compliment. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you got a good crew though. Yeah, they're good people. We've gone through a lot of stuff together. Those guys, as far as I sincerely feel in my heart of hearts, that it's the best crew I could possibly have to work with yeah. and we've all gone through a lot together and that brings you in tighter it's not always easy there's some tough things that had to happen over the last little while but everyone's that's there I hope and pray they're there for the long haul yeah I, I left once quite young I, I had I was very good looking ahead but it's a story I've told I like telling the story because I really believe I was quite attractive but it was spandex <laughs> It was spandex, makeup, long hair, glam rock band, touring around, doing bar tunes for a long time. I love this community up here, like because at the end of the day, when when people start succeeding up here, everyone's gonna start getting noticed. Hundred percent, yeah. Okay. And that that's the main thing for me. Like I'm not much of a social wine guy. Like I don't I don't really know a lot of the other winemakers and wine industry people. Like I know know who they are, but you know if I got free time, I'm I'm smoking brisket or making cocktails, right? I'm not out socializing, but I care a lot about the industry, and I hope that what keeps me going, and, and I may be completely wrong, but I'm hoping that 
in some way I'm adding something a little unique to the industry that gives people the confidence to that that might be scared to go off the path and try something different. Yeah. If I can do it and screw it up a whole bunch of times, um, then someone else might not be afraid to do the same thing, right? And I, I just, if I can contribute anything, I hope it's that. Cheers. Thanks What's so much it? for coming out. Yeah, thank you for uh, entertaining me. Of course. What have we got? So I thought we'd start with uh, the frisante, the muscat frisante, just because we picked that yesterday and we were talking about it a bit. So it's about half and half uh, muscat autonel from just down the bottom of the hollow there. Cool. Those naked vines. And uh, the orange muscat comes from our Shuttleworth Creek property, which is just two kilometers down the road. Nice. And then there's a splash of Riesling in there for a little bit of acidity. But yeah, just a fun, fun little start. It's nice, like, muscats that you're not getting that like not the kind of the California muscat. Where yeah. In that really sweet buttery kind of. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know. Grapey. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mhm. This is actually a first first wine of mine that we bottled. Very cool. Mhm. What year is this? Eighteen. Eighteen. Mhm. So that's. That's literally how how new you are into the scene of wine yeah. making, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, and it, I mean, there's there's a few different wineries that in the last four or five years have introduced new winemaker stuff, but that's yeah. like, that's pretty, cool. Pretty fresh. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fresh. It's really cool because it's, uh, it's a ton of responsibility and a ton of trust that goes into it. I mean, uh, we talked about it before, it's, it's Stag's Hollow is pretty well established and um, for Larry and Linda to kind of hand over the reins to me is pretty pretty big but um, hopefully I'm doing a alright job. It's really nice when you can feel so welcome in this space that's so intimidating so what it's, it's really great. What other profession is there you know what other what other world of you know, like if you like business or sports or or whatever, like what other world is there where people are this accommodating or hoping everyone succeeds and, you know? Yeah, that's a <laughs> no world I've ever been in until now. That's for sure. I used to be a professional dancer, actually, before I moved to the city for, um, you know, I studied dance my whole life. I had my BFA in dance. And I will tell you that world is very competitive and everyone's fighting for your job and your role. And, you know, you, you get into fashion here in New York. It's very competitive. It can be a little cutthroat and a little catty. And so finding this space in wine is, is you feel like you're just part of this big wine family with people from all over the world too. It's not just like here in New York, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Some of these wine festivals where you're meeting like this one, the top drop that you'll have, yeah, you'll have wineries from all over the world and stuff. And you're just sitting chatting with the winemaker and, mm -hmm. you know, or I mean, we've like, like you've done and I've done where you go on, on road trips and. You know, you go through France, you go through Italy, whatever, and you're just hanging out, hanging out with the wine, the winemaker, and isn't it so cool? <laughs> even like just hanging out with like the winemakers, or even just or meeting Insta Instagrammers from other countries. Like I went to Paris and I met 
Diane of Dalkia Loves Wine, and I met Sophie Sommelier, uh, Sophie, and it was just so awesome just to be in Paris at a macaroon and wine pairing that they set up in my honor of being in town. Oh, so cool. I mean, come on. <laughs> it was like, is this real life? It was just unbelievable. That's awesome. And I was like, this, I feel at home in wine, and I'm not going anywhere, that's for sure. I think when you uh, over the decade, over the next couple of decades, the the proof of it being a world class region, one of those things has to be ageability. And I think the most ageable uh, structured wines come from here in OK Falls as well. When, when we're just talking Pinot, um, so going back to the terroir question and the and the appellation question. What we are doing in this current generation is splitting the land up and saying, geographically, this makes sense. Here's a sub-appellation based on uh, aspect, topography, um, et cetera, et cetera, natural boundaries. I think it will be the, you know, the end of my career and the next generation that comes behind us is job to go, okay, it's proven that Southeast Kelowna makes some of the best ageable, you know, we're drinking Pinots that were made 20 years ago and they're still delicious. There's something here. It makes sense to grow more Pinot here. Yeah. And then I, I don't see in the, you know, Canadians are too polite to tell each other exactly what they have to do. So I don't see them suddenly saying, right, you have to pull out all your Gewürztraminer and only plant Pinot. I, I think that's a long way off. That's several generations away before something like that would happen. But I think that the smart farmer seeing his guy next door get 70 bucks a bottle for Pinot while he's struggling away at $20 Gewürz, I, I think that naturally that that market will create those kinds of things where you'll see more and more Chardonnay, Pinot and Riesling growing here. And, and in OK Falls, and then you'll see less growing in Naramata, and you'll see more Merlot and Albarino and other other interesting varieties as they find what what truly makes the best wines in their region. But that's that, that's going to take decades. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me.